0: You're listening to the Sports Island podcast with your host Rick Mitchell. And now the Sports Island podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 33 of the show and appreciate you guys listening. We got a super busy episode this week again. A lot of stuff to get into. There was an NBA trade deadline that just passed. And uh, we've had a couple massive trades in the NFL that severely have impacted the NFL draft order. And of course, we'll get you caught up so far on the March Madness and men's college basketball. But we're going to start off like we usually do, and that's in the PGA Tour. And last weekend's tournament was the Honda Classic, which was held at the PGA National Golf Course in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. It was a par 70. The distance was 7,125 yards. It was not a great field uh, coming off the Players' Championship. A lot of the big names took it off. Um, the PGA did have three positive COVID tests before that tournament kicked off, which was the most in any one single week since June of 2020. But, man, this tournament, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, windy weather. Uh, man, you saw plenty of golfers hitting balls uh, into the water where they'd have to take their shoes off, socks off, and hit, you know, stand in the water and hit the ball from basically the, the edge of the water. Um, it, it was it was pretty, pretty crazy. There was a few good shots that came out of that, but at the end of the tournament, your winner was Matt Jones. Um, you know, I don't know how many people watched this tournament, of course, because college basketball had started this past weekend. Uh, I know I caught uh, a little bit of Sunday's final round, but... Uh, That was pretty much it Uh, but Matt Jones he won with a score of 12 under par it was his uh, second career victory on tour first in seven years so he hadn't won in a while and man Matt Jones uh, he went wire to wire with this thing he came out with a bogey free nine under uh, 61 and he never looked back really he just was atop the leaderboard all weekend uh, had some company there for a while but Second place was Brandon Hagee at 7-under, so five shots back uh, from Matt Jones. And Hagee fired an 8-under 62 in round two, but then just completely fell apart Saturday with a 6-over 76 to completely remove himself from contention. Now, your third place, there was a five-way tie for third place. Uh, Russell Henley... Denny McCarthy CT Pan Chase Seifert and Brendan Steele all shot six under par Uh, Henley Henley was seven under heading into the weekend uh, but shot a three over 73 on Saturday to kind of fall back um, out of contention now McCarthy shot a four over 74 on Saturday but that was uh, but he was uh, actually ten under through his other three rounds so uh, between his, between Denny McCarthy's first, second, and fourth rounds, he was 10-under, and Saturday he was four over. So uh, if he could have put another decent round together on Saturday, he would have been in good shape. Uh, C.T. Pan, he was 6-under heading into Saturday and then shot even par over the weekend to stay there. Chase Seifert, was, uh, he shot a 6-under six 64 in Sunday's final round to kind of get himself up the leaderboard. Uh, I don't even know, again, if they showed any of his coverage on Sunday. Uh, but Brendan Steele, he shot a pair of five hundred sixty-fives on Friday and Sunday to keep himself kind of hanging around. But uh, my picks to click, I did not have another good week uh, in the old picks to click. And we'll find out here uh, and check it out. Uh, the first one I gave you was Adam Scott. He had historically played well. He had won at this course uh, in 2016, um, but he came out. He fired. He ended up going four under for the tournament, which was tied for 13th. He was actually four under heading into the weekend, uh, but then he shot an even par. He was he was over par Saturday, under par Sunday, to uh, stay at even par for the uh, weekend and four under for the entire tournament. Now, he was one of those guys that had a ridiculous shot uh, from the edge of the water with his uh, pants hiked up and his socks and shoes off, his feet in the water. He splashed this thing and plopped it right on the green. So that was pretty much the highlight of Adam Scott's weekend. But he did finish uh, tied for 13th, which is a click. So I did click on him. Now, my second pick to click was Lee Westwood. And Westwood had just come off of back-to-back, uh, second place finishes where he was in the final pairing in each of the past uh, two tournaments Arnold Palmer and the players uh two you know bigger tournaments so he uh, he was playing pretty good golf and so I liked for him to continue that and he had never missed a cut here at PGA National he was 7 for 7 coming into this tournament so what did he go out and do well he missed the cut uh he was 8 over par through two rounds which actually uh sounds even worse because he shot an even par 70 on Thursday and then an 8-over 78 on Friday. So his 8-over came all on Friday. He missed the cut, and I completely missed on him. Now, my third pick-to-click that I gave you was Daniel Berger. And after I recorded uh, that episode, with Berger withdrew with uh, a, a, a some kind of injury. Uh, so he did not play in the tournament. So I... I didn't click or miss on Berger. I only had two guys that were eligible, uh, and I went one and one on that. I clicked on Scott and whiffed on Westwood. So uh, Berger probably would have been good for me. Uh, I think he probably would have been in contention had he um, had he played. But this weekend's tournament's very neat. It's the World Golf Championships Dell Technology Match Play. And that's held at the Austin Country Club in Austin, Texas. It's a par seventy two. Distance is seven thousand and sixty two yards. And this event is like is unlike any other throughout the year. And basically it's uh the first three it started early. It started on Wednesday of this week. And uh it's match play for the first three rounds. So how it works, you have sixty four total golfers, and they're ranked from one to sixty four based on Uh, their official world golf ranking. And so they're split up into groups of four. All right, so you have 64 players split up into groups of four. That gives you 16 groups. The top 16 players in the rankings are the top seeds in each group. All right, and the remaining golfers are picked randomly. Now, rounds one through three is your round robin, where each golfer in the group goes head-to-head with the other golfers in his group. And you get uh, one point for a win, half a point for a tie, and of course, zero for a loss. And the golfer with the most points at the end of the group play advances to the 16-golfer single elimination tournament, which uh, is held uh, over the weekend. And from there, the field gets narrowed down to eight, then down to four, then down to two for your final uh, championship round on uh, Sunday. So my picks to click this week are a little different because there's not, a, there's not going to be a top 25. I'll, just, I'll give you three guys that I think uh, maybe are under the radar that have a good chance to win this thing. And the first one I'll give you is Abraham Anser. He's ranked number 29 in the world. Um, he was actually 3-1 and one in match play in the Ryder Cup uh, last year. And since 2019, he's gone t 4 T12, T15, and T18 in the World Golf Championship events, all the WGC. So he hasn't finished any worse than 18 uh, in any of the WGC events. So he he comes to play for these things. Second pick is Cameron Smith. He's ranked number 27 in the world, and he was a quarter finalist in his first match play event here in 2018. And his last three starts on tour have all been top 17 finishes, uh, the Genesis, Of course, the WGC at the concession and then the players' championship. He hasn't finished any worse than 17 in any of those, so he's been playing pretty good golf lately. Now, my final pick to click for this uh, WGC Dell Technology match play is Paul Casey. Casey's number 18 in the world. He's actually a two-time runner-up here. Uh, 2009 and 2010, he finished second. And in six starts this year on tour, uh, he's got one win, which came in Dubai on the European tour. Uh, then he's got two T5s, a T8, a T10, and a T12. So I like for Paul Casey to uh, to be in contention. Now, all three of those guys are in different groups, and they all have to win their group through round-robin play in order to advance. So if, if those guys don't win their group, they're not going on. But I, I do believe that uh, those three guys have a legitimate chance to uh, advance pretty far in this thing. So... We'll have to stay tuned on that. I'll be checking into that tournament this weekend. Uh, Match play is always a a unique sight to see. But we'll move on to the NCAA and March Madness, college basketball. And we've made it to the Sweet 16. Of course, last weekend, the first two rounds went uh, underway. Uh, But before that even took place, there was some drama with regards to the weight rooms between the men's tournament and the women's tournament. Now, the men's tournament is... Uh, in the Indianapolis area and their weight room for the men's tournament was one huge gym, bunch of free weights and uh, racks of, of dumbbells and uh, barbells and all kinds of equipment machines everywhere. And then, uh, in the women's side, which is in San Antonio, their gym consisted of basically one small rack of free weights of dumbbells. So there was a big discrepancy there. Um, the NCAA came out and apologized and said that that was not their intention to shortchange the women and that women need to be equal. And so there was a whole big, uh, huge drama about that. But once the games got played, man, it was – we had some bracket busters on the first couple days of this tournament, which we usually do. But this year uh, was – really kind of worse than it has been in previous years in terms of upsets. There were five double-digit seeds that won on the first day of the men's tournament. Uh, number 15, Oral Roberts, beat number two, Ohio State in uh, and, and that. And then on the second day, number 14, Abilene Christian, beat number three, Texas uh, on the second day. So this was the first time in men's NCAA tournament history that four teams – seeded 13th or worse have reached the round of 32. At number 15 Oral Roberts, number 14 Abilene Christian, number 13 Ohio, and number 13 University of North Texas who had a big win over uh, Purdue University. Now the first round also saw uh, a COVID affected game. Uh, the game between Virginia Commonwealth and Oregon That got declared a no contest due to a positive COVID test in Virginia Commonwealth's team. So uh, the NCAA said no contest. Oregon wins by a score of two to nothing and advances. Now Oregon would also go on to win their second game as well. So uh, they, uh, they knocked out number two seed Iowa in the second round. They came to play. They were shooting the lights out of the ball. So, uh, if they played anywhere close to that against VCU, they would have, they would have beaten VCU anyways. But yeah, so first round kind of had a bit of everything, really. Um, and we've made it to the Sweet 16, and of course I I made my predictions uh, last week's episode for the entire uh, for the entire tournament. But uh, I have Gonzaga winning it all. Now we'll go over the Sweet 16 matchups here. Uh, Just so we can see what's on tap this week. Of course, the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 games are this weekend. Um, In the West region, the number one seed Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, take on the number five seed Creighton Blue Jays. Winner of that game plays either the number six seed USC Trojans or the number seven seed Oregon Ducks. That's a great game. Could go either way uh, on that one. I like Oregon in that. Of course, I picked Gonzaga to win it all. Uh, So I'm picking them to beat Creighton, and I'll pick Oregon to beat USC with how they played uh, the other day against Iowa. Now in the East region, top seed Michigan Wolverines, uh, they play the number four seed Florida State Seminoles. The winner of that game plays uh, the winner of the number two seed Alabama Crimson Tide versus the number 11 seed UCLA Bruins. Uh, I like Michigan to beat Florida State, although Michigan ran into a buzzsaw in LSU that gave them a run, uh, but I like Michigan to advance, and then I like Bama just the way that they've been playing this entire year, really. Uh, I see a, a, a Michigan-Bama Elite Eight matchup. In the South region, the top seed Baylor Bears, uh, they play uh, the Villanova Wildcats, and number five seed and the winner of that game plays the number 3 seed Arkansas Razorbacks uh, versus the number four, uh, 14 seed, 15 seed rather Oral Roberts University. Man, and like I said, the Golden Eagles from Oral Roberts. And uh they've they've been on a Cinderella run. No no reason to expect them to stop except that Arkansas has been playing really well this year. Uh, I see Baylor beating Villanova, and I just can't see Oral Roberts making it past Arkansas. Give me Arkansas on that one. Uh, In the Midwest region, the number 8 seed Loyola Chicago. They knocked off Illinois in that second round. Top seed Illinois. uh, Just trounced them, 71-58. They get to play the number 12 seed Oregon State Beavers. The winner of that game... Plays the winner of the number two University of Houston Cougars versus the number eleven Syracuse Orange. I like Loyola Chicago. They have their uh, their cheerleader and Sister Jean, who's the the team chaplain. She's one hundred and one years old. I'm sure you've you've seen her if you've paid attention to this tournament. Uh, You know who she is. She's their good luck charm. I see Loyola Chicago beating Oregon State and taking on Houston. Uh, Houston is another really solid team. Uh, I think Buddy Bayheim's luck with Syracuse runs out, so I see a Loyola Chicago uh, University of Houston Elite Eight matchup there. But speaking of Loyola Chicago, okay, um, since 2018, Loyola Chicago has more NCAA tournament wins than North Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan State, Ohio State, UConn, and UCLA. That is unbelievable. When you talk about those prolific programs that always get the five star kids, four and five star kids that come out of high school, and then you have poor Piddly, Loyola, Chicago, in the last three years of tournament play, they have more wins than all of those programs. Uh, that is just unbelievable. Now, if you're curious as to the conference records so far uh, through the first two rounds, we'll go through those. The Pac-12 they've gone nine and one, and they have four out of the remaining 16 teams left, which is unbelievable. Pac-12 showed up and has showed out so far and through two rounds. The SEC they went six and four. They still have two teams left, uh, two couple of good ones too. Uh, Bama and Arkansas. The Big East, they went four and two. They also have two teams left. The Big Twelve, this is what's very interesting. The Big Twelve and the Big Ten were the by far the best two conferences throughout the entire college basketball season. And I talked about that every weekly rankings update that I gave. I said that your best two conferences were by far the Big 12 and the Big 10. And here we are. The Big 12 went 7-6 and six in the first two rounds. The only team that they have in the Sweet 16 is the Baylor Bears. And on the Big 10 side, uh, they went 7-8. and eight. So they went two games worse than the Big 12. They only have one team left, and that's the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, that's just – that's – I can't even believe that. Uh, but in the ACC, they went four and five. But they also have two teams left uh, over in the ACC. So uh, this March Madness is going to be uh, is going to be fun to watch, especially with all the higher seeds. You know uh, that are that are still in it. We have uh, four double digit seeds in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, you have two eleven seeds between Syracuse and UCLA. You have a 12 seed in Oregon State and a 15 seed in Oral Roberts. So there's going to be some great basketball. Uh, Three of the four one seeds are still in it. And uh, it's just going to be a good weekend of college basketball. I just gave you my predictions for the Sweet 16. Uh, So we'll have to follow up next week uh, once we get through this weekend. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association and check in on a standings update there. The trade deadline passed this week on Thursday, and we'll go over that in around the island. But as far as the standings update goes for the NBA, we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Philadelphia 76ers, Sixers—they're thirty-two and thirteen. Uh, they've won nine out of their last ten. They're tops in the East. Milwaukee Bucks—they've been on a tear. They've won eight out, of, uh, won eight games in a row. Nine out of their last ten to move up to twenty-nine and fourteen ahead. Of the Brooklyn Nets, who are 30 and 15 in the number three spot. Brooklyn uh, is 8 and 2. They just lost a game the other night in which they did not have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, or James Harden. Fourth seed in the East, the Charlotte Hornets. They're 22 and 21. Fifth seed, the New York Knicks, 23 and 22. Atlanta Hawks, 22 and 22. Seventh seed, Miami Heat. 22 and 23 they've lost five in a row as it sits at this very moment but they just made a massive trade we'll get into uh, and watch for them to catapult up the standings here uh, in this next week a uh, couple weeks the eighth seed currently the Boston Celtics they're 21 and 23 uh, they also made a couple of trades at the deadline so pay attention to them the Indiana Pacers 20 and 23. Uh, Chicago Bulls, 19-24. They've also made a big trade at the deadline. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, 18-26. They've only won one game out of their last 10. Uh, not doing great. Cleveland Cavaliers, 17-27. Washington Wizards, 15-28. They're on a three-game skid. The Orlando Magic, they were a just a dumpster fire uh, at the deadline they just getting rid of everybody 15 and 29 is where they are now they've only won two out of their last 10 and with the trades that they made they are doing nothing but plummeting down to the Detroit Pistons at 12 and 31 uh, who has only won three out of their last 10. Now in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz they've cooled off a little bit uh, they've they're 32 and 11. Still atop the West. They're on a three-game win streak uh, currently. But the Phoenix Suns, they're second in the West at 29-14. and 14. They've won 7 out of 10. Los Angeles Clippers, 30-16. and 16. They're on a four-game winning streak. The Los Angeles Lakers are the four-seed currently, 28-17. and 17. They're on a four-game losing streak. And the bad news for them is that uh, they lost LeBron James indefinitely with an uh, an ankle sprain. So LeBron James is out. Anthony Davis is still out. He should be coming back relatively soon, but the uh, prognosis on LeBron James is just out indefinitely with a a high ankle sprain. Which is not good news for them, uh, missing both LeBron and AD. Uh, They're still obviously a solid playoff team because they will get both of them back um, before the end of the year, but Pay attention to LA's uh, seeding. Now, the fifth seed currently is the Denver Nuggets. They were they're twenty six and eighteen. Uh, they've won seven out of their last ten. They were also active at the deadline. Big acquisition. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers twenty six and eighteen. Dallas Mavericks seventh seed currently at twenty three and nineteen. They've won seven out of their last ten. The San Antonio Spurs twenty two and twenty as the eighth seed currently. They're on a four game losing streak. The Memphis Grizzlies are on their heels at 21-20. and 20. They're on a three-game winning streak. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, 22-23. They've lost three in a row. Sacramento Kings, 20-25. They've won three in a row. Uh, De'Aaron Fox had a 40-point night the other night, career high for him. The New Orleans Pelicans, they were also sellers at the trade deadline. They're 19-24. Oklahoma City Thunder were also sellers. They're 19 and 25. The Houston Rockets. We talked about them last week. They hadn't won a game in uh, over a month. Well, it got worse because they went to 20 games. They lost 20 straight games before finally winning a game. So they win a game to break the 20 game losing streak and then they lose the very next game. Uh, they're they're 12 and 31. And they are finally getting in the Minnesota Timberwolves territory, uh, who holds up the rear of the Western Conference at 10-34. and 34. Now, the T-Wolves are on a three-game losing streak. Uh, but, yeah, the Rockets, that was tough to watch. Their head coach, Steven Silas, had a press conference, got kind of emotional, you know, talking about the 20-game losing streak. But, yeah, man, this uh, the trade deadline, we'll, we'll get into it here Uh Here in just a minute and around the island Definitely some interesting trades to go over in that But we'll move over to our friends In the National Hockey League And Do a standings update there Now we've had uh, All the teams Now are officially Past the halfway point of their season Uh, And my Dallas Stars Are no longer the team Having played the fewest games Currently as it sits at this very moment But Uh, All teams, we are officially past the halfway point of the NHL season. The Discover Central Division, this thing's heating up big time. Tampa Bay Lightning are 24-7-2. They've won 7 out of 10. Carolina Hurricanes, 22-7-3. They've also won 7 out of 10. Florida Panthers, 29-4. They're on a three-game losing streak. Chicago Blackhawks, 16-13-5. Columbus Blue Jackets, 13, 13, and 8. Nashville Predators, 16, 17, and 1. They're on a three-game winning streak. Dallas Stars, 11, 11, and 8. Detroit Red Wings, 10, 20, and 4. Only won three out of their last 10. And the Mass Mutual East Division. The New York Islanders, 22, 8, and 4. They've won eight out of their last 10. Washington Capitals, 21-7-4. They've also won eight out of their last ten. Pittsburgh is heating up. The Penguins, they're 21-11-2. They've won seven out of the last ten. The Boston Bruins are 16-8-5. New York Rangers, 15-13-4. Philadelphia Flyers, 15-13-4. Interesting between those two teams. I talked about it last week. The Rangers pummeled the Flyers 9-0. Well, they pummeled them again the other night. And Mika Zibanejad of the Rangers is the first player in NHL history to have uh, six or more points in back-to-back games against the same opponent. So uh, Rangers have the Flyers' number big time. Uh, the, the bottom two teams in the East, New, uh, New Jersey Devils 12-15-4, and four. and the Buffalo Sabres six Twenty-two and four. My God, that is that is horrible. They've lost eight in a row. Uh, All all of their games have just been. I mean, just Buffalo. They are a complete train wreck at the moment. Uh, They fired their coach, and we talked about that on last week's episode. Just not good things happening here. They are going to be complete sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, Now the Honda West Division. Vegas Golden Knights, 22-8-1. Colorado Avalanche, 21-8-3. They've won eight out of their last ten. Minnesota Wild, 21-10-1. They've also won eight out of their last ten, including three in a row. The St. Louis Blues, 16-12-5. Arizona Coyotes, 14-14-5. Los Angeles Kings, 13-13-6. Uh, San Jose Sharks, 13, 14, and 4. And the Anaheim Ducks, 9, 19, and 6. They're on a three-game losing streak. Now, the Scotia North Division. Of course, that's our uh, Canadian division. And we, it was the only division to not have any kind of COVID issue until this week. The first bit of, of the coronavirus has struck the Scotia North Division Uh, And that came to us uh, by the Montreal Canadiens. They had two players placed on the COVID protocol list. That would be Jesperi Kotkiniemi and Joel Armia. Both of them were placed on the COVID protocol list. uh, And a few of their games have been postponed. So, interesting note there in the North Division. But as far as the standings go, the Toronto Maple Leafs are 21-10-2. Winnipeg Jets, 20, 11, and 2. The Edmonton Oilers are heating up. They are 21 and 13. Uh, They've won three in a row, seven out of their last ten. Montreal Canadiens, 14, 8, and 9. Vancouver Canucks, 16, 18, and 3. Calgary Flames, 15, 16, and 3. They've lost three in a row. And the Ottawa Senators, 12, 20, and 4. Uh, So they started off, the Senators did, starting off the season being the worst team, but Buffalo and Anaheim have overtaken them as the uh, worst teams, uh, and Detroit even, really, fewer wins than Ottawa. But like I said, we're a little more than halfway through the NHL season, and we're still uh, making our way through. Uh, Hopefully the uh, COVID situation continues to be steady in the NHL, and uh, we'll just keep moving forward here. Uh, until we get to a little closer to the playoffs, I am actually going to a uh, uh, Dallas Stars game this weekend against the Florida Panthers. It'll be the first game I've attended this season and uh, first sporting event uh, I've attended, uh, professional sporting event since uh, COVID hit. So I'm pretty excited about that. That'll be a good time. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing um, how the limited fans in uh, attendance thing works. But we'll go over to the National Football League now, and uh, free agency is still hot and heavy. Definitely some, some more big free agent signings this past week. Uh, not as many to get through as last week, but we'll just go through some of the bigger names that you'll recognize by position group. Quarterback, Joe Flacco, one year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. Running back, Chris Carson. Three-year deal, $24.5 million with the Seattle Seahawks, just re-signed there. Philip Lindsey, signed with the Houston Texans. Samaje Pirine, re-signed with the two-year deal, Cincinnati Bengals. Tevin Coleman, one-year, $2 million deal with the New York Jets. Damian Williams, who was released by the Chiefs, signed a one-year deal with the Chicago Bears. James White, re-signed with the New England Patriots on a one-year, $2.5 million deal, And Leonard Fournette, one-year, $4 million deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he re-signed with them. And that Leonard Fournette re-signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers means that the Bucs now have all 22 starters from last year's Super Bowl team returning in 2021. So Tom Brady was serious when he said he wants to keep the gang together. Uh, All 22 starters are coming back. Wide receivers, some big names that – signed this past week. Biggest was Kenny Galladay. He signed a four-year, $72 million deal with the New York Giants. And I I came across this interesting stat with Kenny Galladay uh, in comparison to Calvin Johnson, who was obviously the Lions' best receiver ever. Hall of Fame, first ballot. Uh, But through their first 47 career games with the Detroit Lions... Calvin Johnson had 3,166 receiving yards. Kenny Galladay had 3,068. So about a 100, 100-yard 100 difference there. Calvin Johnson only had 100 more yards in the first 47 games than Kenny Galladay. And receiving touchdowns in that same span, Megatron 22, Kenny Galladay 21. So a 100-yard difference and a one-touchdown difference between Uh, Those two guys in their first 47 games with the Lions. I thought that was pretty interesting. Not saying that Kenny Galladay is Calvin Johnson, but uh, his numbers are certainly uh, right there with Megatrons. Some other wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster stayed with the Pittsburgh Steelers' one-year $8 million deal. He actually took a discount to do so. He turned down about a, a $13 million offer or $12 million offer from the Baltimore Ravens. So he could have made 4 or $5 million more, but he decided to stay in Pittsburgh. T.Y. Hilton, he's coming back to the Indianapolis Colts on a one-year $10 million deal. Deshaun Jackson signed with the L.A. Rams. Josh Reynolds left the Rams and signed with the Tennessee Titans. Rashad Perryman, one-year $3 million deal with the Detroit Lions. Keelan Cole, one-year $5.5 million deal for the New York Jets. Uh, who have also signed Corey Davis? We talked about that one last week. John Brown, he signed with the Las Vegas Raiders, who also signed Willie Sneed to a one year contract. So they got a couple new receivers there in Vegas. Adam Humphrey signed with the Washington football team, who just keeps adding weapons for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, on the offensive line, the only player to sign was, only big name player was Riley Reef with the Cincinnati Bengals. On the defensive line, Kerry Hyder, three years, 16.5 mil from the Seattle Seahawks. Malik Jackson uh, signed a deal with the Cleveland Browns. Dominican Sue, one year, 10 million, re signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, they have all the same starters. Carlos Dunlap, two years, 16.5 million from the Seattle Seahawks. Linebackers, Alex Anzaloni, and that wonderful blonde flow of hair that he has. Three years, uh, correction, one year with the Detroit Lions. Now, Adoree Jackson, uh, defensive backs now. Adoree Jackson, three years, 39 mil from the New York Giants. Kyle Fuller was released from Chicago and signed a one-year, $9.5 million deal with the Denver Broncos. Uh, Justin Simmons, Denver Broncos safety, who had the franchise tag placed on him a couple weeks ago, Just signed a four year, $61 million deal to stay with the Broncos and not play under the tag. That makes Justin Simmons the highest paid safety in the league. Uh, Anthony Harris, one year, five million from the Philadelphia Eagles. My Dallas Cowboys, they signed a pair of safeties Keanu Neal, one year and five million, and DeMonte Kazi, one year deal also with the Cowboys. Uh, so Dan Quinn, the new defensive coordinator, got his guys that he coached in Atlanta. Hopefully they play uh, better than they did in Atlanta here in Dallas. Troy Hill got four years and $24 million with the Cleveland Browns. Eli Apple signed with the Cincinnati Bengals. And Malcolm Butler, former Super Bowl MVP, uh, signed a one-year deal with the Arizona Cardinals worth up to $10 million. Now, you notice there's a lot of one-year deals, and that's simply because the salary cap of the NFL this year is, is quite a bit lower than it normally is. So uh, once the TV contract for the NFL is renewed at the end of this year, the salary cap for the next couple years will be substantially higher. So players are, at the end of free agency after this upcoming year, the players will be free to sign uh, longer-term, more-value contracts. So that's the purpose of a lot of these uh one-year deals. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And, of course, that's we do some quick hit topics from all of the sports. And we'll start off in the NBA. I mentioned the trade deadline was this past Thursday. Well, here we go. We're just going to go over the massive trades, the bigger trades that took place, not all of them. The Orlando Magic, super busy at the deadline. They started off by sending this year's all-star, Nikola Vucevic, and Al Farouk Amino to the Chicago Bulls, for Otto Porter, Wendell Carter Jr., and two first-round picks. Then, they sent their previous all-star, Aaron Gordon, to the Denver Nuggets for Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a first-round pick. If that wasn't bad enough, they traded their third-best player, Evan Fournier, to the Boston Celtics in exchange for two second-round picks, so... Basically, the Magic are completely punting on this season and are starting a rebuild. They got uh, three first-round picks and two second-round picks and uh, a handful of players to to do that with, but uh, Magic just uh, wholesale change there. Now, the Toronto Raptors, they Kyle Lowry was rumored to be getting traded, but they ended up keeping Kyle Lowry and not trading him However, the Raptors did trade Norman Powell, who is having a breakout year, averaging close to 20 points a game, to the Portland Trailblazers in exchange for Gary Trent and Rodney Hood. So great trade for Portland there. They get a a guy who's having a career year, and you pair him with, uh, of course, Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum, and that offense in Portland is going to get even better than it has been. The Philadelphia 76ers were one of the teams interested in Kyle Lowry, but they settled for George Hill. They acquired George Hill from the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Tony Bradley, Terrence Ferguson, and two future second-round picks. And this was actually a three-way trade that included the New York Knicks. The Knicks end up getting Ferguson out of that deal, and they send uh, Iggy Brzezakis to the 76ers. And additionally on that, Austin Rivers is going to go from the New York Knicks over to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And this trade gives the Oklahoma City Thunder a massive uh, draft pick pool. Uh, Over the next seven years, the Oklahoma City Thunder have 17 first-round picks and 17 second-round picks. Now, mind you, the NBA draft is only two rounds. So over the next seven years, the Thunder have an average of more than two first- and two second-round picks in each of those next seven drafts. That is just simply outrageous. Uh, They are going to be, uh, when this rebuild is complete, that is how you rebuild right there. And they're, they're still fairly competitive now, but they're going to have some major talent come through Oklahoma City in these next five to seven years. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks, they traded Rajon Rondo to the Los Angeles Clippers in exchange for Lou Williams and two future second-round picks. The Dallas Mavericks, they acquired J.J. Redick and Nico Melli from the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for James Johnson, Wes Owundu, and a second-round pick. Now, J.J. Redick's not as uh, good from beyond the arc as he has been in his career, I think he's rolling in at about 38% this year. His career average is around 47% from three. But that's certainly a welcomed addition to the Mavericks lineup. Uh, Luke is great at finding open shooters, and Redick usually seems to be open. So that is a good combination. But the biggest trade at the NBA deadline was the Houston Rockets and the Miami Heat. And Houston traded away Victor Oladipo to Miami in exchange for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk. And a first round swap right for draft picks in the 2022 draft. So, great trade for the Heat, uh, who are also expected to be front runners to sign forward Lamarcus Aldridge, who had just completed a buyout with the San Antonio Spurs. I mentioned that a couple episodes ago about Aldridge being done in San Antonio, but uh, watch out for the Miami Heat. Victor Oladipo, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, I mean, that lineup is, is stout. Uh, you got Tyler Hero coming off the bench that can shoot the lights out. And if they sign LaMarcus Aldridge to that group, uh, I like them uh, right up there near the top of the East with Brooklyn and Philly, uh, really. I mean, they're, they're sitting in seventh in the East right now, but I would fully suspect that over the next couple months, Miami works their way up into a top three seed in the East coming off of their Uh, Eastern Conference Championship in the bubble. Now, when it was all said and done, the trade deadline, there were a total of 16 trades between 23 teams involving 46 players, which is the most in each of those categories in the last 35 years. So very active trade deadline in the NBA. Uh, We'll have to see how those trades pan out. It's definitely going to be exciting. Uh, second half of the NBA season. But we'll zip over real quick to the National Football League. And there were a couple of major trades that took place uh, the late this past week uh, involving draft picks. And the Miami Dolphins were in the middle of both of them. Miami started off by trading the third overall pick, which they own this year, to the San Francisco 49ers in exchange for the Niners' first round pick, which was 12th overall. And uh, a 2021 third round pick and a first round pick in 2022 and 2023. So Miami moved down nine spots. They got a third round pick this year and a first round pick in each of the next two drafts. That was a great trade for Miami, who just continues to stockpile draft picks while still being competitive. And you gotta believe that the 49ers gave up all that to, to move up nine spots to take a quarterback. And all of the mock drafts that I've seen uh, here lately, uh, of course, Trevor Lawrence is going first. Zach Wilson uh, is, is favored to be going second to the Jets, but they they still have Sam Darnold. They have not traded Sam Darnold yet. So uh, San Francisco squeaks in there. If the Jets decide to keep Darnold and, and draft a position player, then the Niners are going to have their pick between Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Uh, I like Justin Fields to go to San Francisco just simply because of his uh, mobility and his effectiveness in the the run-pass option. And San Francisco loves to run the football. They have a couple of uh, good running backs. So I like Justin Fields at number three. Um, But then Miami, after that trade, they just racked up a bunch of draft picks. They said, you know what, we want to move back up guarantee that we get one of the top four pass catchers in the draft to help Tua out. Top four pass catchers, of course, your wide receivers, you got Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, um, Jalen Waddle, uh, and then the tight end, Kyle Pitts, uh, who is a generational talent at tight end. So the Dolphins were like, yeah, let's move up just to secure one of those guys, because we're not sure we're going to be able to get one of those at 12. So Miami traded the 12th pick that they just acquired to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, who were sitting at number 6. So basically, uh, Miami moved back up to number 6 after trading down to to 12. So they moved up 6 spots. And in doing so, they had to give up a 4th round pick this year and a 1st round pick in 2022 to the Eagles in exchange for the 6th overall pick this year and a 4th round pick this year as well. So uh, after that trade with Philly, the Miami Dolphins still have the following draft picks in the next three drafts. This year's draft, they have two first rounders, two second rounders, and a third rounder. Of course, in addition to their fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh rounder. In 2022, next year, the Dolphins have two first rounders, a second, and a third. And then 2023, they have two first rounders, a second, and a third. So in the next three drafts, including this one, the Dolphins have a total of six first-round picks, four second-round picks, and three third-round picks. That's awesome. Uh, Miami was just barely on the outskirts of the playoffs this past season. They just barely missed the playoffs uh, at 10-6, and six, but they are rebuilding and they are competitive now. That team is good, and they are doing it the right way. Miami, in another few years, is going to be a powerhouse in the AFC. But some other NFL news, uh, the NFL announced a new set of TV deals between uh, the ESPN ABC Corporation, NBC, CBS, Fox, and Amazon. And that new agreement keeps Sunday afternoon games on Fox and CBS, as they have been, the Sunday night games on NBC, which they have been, And the Monday night games on ESPN, which they have been. Uh, Some Monday night games will also air on ABC, uh, since ABC is uh, part of the ESPN network. But for the first time, Amazon will be the exclusive home for Thursday night football. And the NFL network will air select Thursday games. So normally, in these past few years, Fox uh, has taken over the Thursday night games, with the NFL network also co-broadcasting. But moving forward, it's going to be Amazon Prime. If you do not have Amazon Prime, you will not be able to watch uh, most of the Thursday night football games unless you somehow have uh, the NFL Network. Now, as part of that deal, the ESPN-ABC uh, duo, they pick up two Super Bowls during that deal. Uh, so two, two of the next uh, 10 or so Super Bowls will be aired on ESPN or ABC. Uh, the first one will occur in 2026, And then the other three networks, NBC, CBS, and Fox, they get three Super Bowls each. Uh, NBC actually gets four out of the next 13 Super Bowls. So interesting uh, TV contract situation there. Now, I mentioned the NFL draft this year. Uh, It is held in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And for remember last year, it was completely virtual, Uh, This year, the NFL draft is April 29th through May 1st, and it is going to be held in person uh, this year. There will be a select number of prospects, fans, and media that are going to be allowed in attendance in person. Teams are going to designate a number of draft ambassadors, which are fans who get front row seats. And in order to qualify for that, the fans must be fully vaccinated and wear masks. And the team personnel that are involved in the selection process of the draft picks uh, will be allowed to gather in a war room uh, at their team facility, which they had not been able to do last year. I remember individual coaches and GMs were at their house, on their boats, in their basements, whatever, doing the draft virtually. Well, this year they get to meet in person in the war room, uh, providing they follow the appropriate protocols. And as far as the NFL draft festivities, Uh, Downtown Cleveland is pretty iconic, and they have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, First Energy Stadium, of course, where the Browns play, and the Great Lakes Science Center. All three of those venues will be hosting uh, the draft festivities, so a lot of stuff will take place outdoors, so that'll be uh, good and help maybe limit the spread of the virus. Uh, But the final piece of NFL news deals with the New Orleans Saints. The Saints were the only NFL team... Uh, this past season to officially lose a draft pick over the violations of the COVID protocols during the 2020 season. So the NFL announced that the saints lost a sixth round pick in next year's 2022 draft, and they were fined $700,000 after the appeals process was completed. The Las Vegas Raiders, they had violations, but they did not lose a draft pick. They just got fined $800,000 and The NFL came out and said that the reason that the Saints were punished the most severe was because they were repeat offenders. Of course, week two, Coach Payton uh, did not have his mask on on the sidelines. And then week nine, uh, Coach Payton and Jameis Winston and several other players were celebrating the postgame win uh, without masks on. And so the NFL violated them uh, twice, different fines, and uh, they just lost a sixth round pick in next year's draft because of that. Uh, but yeah, so only team to lose draft pick there. Now we'll, we'll move over to the National Hockey League. Some notes out of that. Um, the NHL announced uh, a new change to their draft lottery starting this year in the 2021 draft. And I am extremely happy because if you recall uh, many episodes ago uh, when the NFL draft lottery took place this past season, I was very against how the nhl does their draft lottery uh because the of the way it turned out um the nhl does their draft lottery very very different than what the nfl does i'm not sure why the other sports don't just adopt the nfl's version of the draft order where you know the best team picks last and the worst team picks first that just seems fairly simple but the uh nhl hadn't been doing that so they said you know what uh The Detroit Red Wings, who were the worst team in the league last year, ended up with the fourth pick because of the current lottery system. So that was just completely fraudulent. So they didn't want that to happen, so they came up with this wonky system. Basically, starting in this year's 2021 draft, the team finishing with the fewest points in the league cannot draft lower than third overall. Don't know why they wouldn't be able to just get the first pick, but they can't be any lower than third. Uh... That would be your Detroit Red Wings rule. Now, starting in 2022, 11 teams, instead of the normal 16, are going to be eligible to win the lottery. And no team can win the lottery more than twice in a five-year period. That would be what we call the Edmonton Oilers rule. Because the Edmonton Oilers, they won the lottery three times in a five-year span uh, from 2010 to 2015. They had three number one picks, which ended up being Taylor Hall, who's no longer on the team, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Connor McDavid, Uh, three fantastic players that they got in a five-year span because of the the luck of the lottery. So the NHL is limiting the number of teams that can win the lottery by five, and they're also trying to prevent tanking, uh, which uh, hockey is, is full of guys that, you know, care about their integrity and their pride. So Tanking is not an issue in the NHL, uh, but yeah, that's that's prevent tanking. I, I just I, they need to just forget about that and just adopt the easiest system, and that's what the NFL rolls out. Um, but the biggest news, I, I say the biggest news out of the NHL, the most dramatic news out of the NHL this past week was uh, dealing with NHL referee Tim Peel. He was set to retire at the end of this season, but he has been removed from his duties. Uh, basically after he was caught on a hot mic saying that he wanted to give the Nashville Predators a penalty uh, in their one of their recent games this past week. Now, referees are human, okay? They're just like you and I. They have bias. They grew up watching that sport. They grew up with their favorite teams in mind. And while referees, you know, don't necessarily get caught being biased or uh, favorable to one team over the other, uh, you know. Certain calls indicate that they are throughout a game, and this is in all leagues, not just the NHL. But you know, this is not really news to me. Uh, the NHL, you know, is the same as every other major pro sport. Referees are humans, just like they are uh, in every pro sport, and you know they make judgments based on what they see, and it is what it is. So I, you know, Tim Peel's done being an NHL referee. Uh, just because he's the only one that's gotten caught, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All referees have some bias. Tim Peel just got caught, and it is what it is because he was already retiring. So nothing to see here. Uh, But the final, well, I guess there's two more pieces of NHL news. Uh, The Canadian government, they announced that they're going to be reducing the quarantine period for players that are traded from American teams to Canadian teams uh, before the trade deadline here which is a couple weeks away and the quarantine period was going to be 14 days that is now going to be seven days with enhanced testing so if a player gets traded from a u.s team to a canadian team before the deadline they only have to quarantine for seven days uh, and they will undergo enhanced testing so interesting note there uh, still waiting for the border to open up uh, don't see with all the vaccines that have been rolling out in both countries don't see why we're not opening the border but Uh, That is not my decision. Quick trade in the NHL. uh, The Buffalo Sabres, just absolutely abysmal. They're trading Eric Stahl to the Montreal Canadiens for a third and a fifth round pick in this year's draft. But we'll circle back over to college basketball for a minute. Texas, University of Texas, my beloved Longhorns. Their head coach, Shaka Smart. He is leaving the University of Texas to go be the head coach at Marquette University. Now, I, I'm actually fine with this because Shaka Smart was probably getting fired anyways. Uh, he was, he, the Longhorns won the Big 12 conference this year, for God's sakes. They got a three seed, and they got booted by a 14 seed Abilene Christian in the tournament. Shaka Smart's record with Texas was 0-3. In in the tournament, and he only made the tournament three times, and didn't get out of the first round in any of them. After leading Virginia Commonwealth University to the Final Four a couple years before he got hired at Texas, so I'm not really heartbroken over this. I think uh, we needed a change of scenery, and an initial report that I read indicated that the Longhorns were possibly eyeing uh, Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard, who. Has been a fantastic coach in Lubbock the last several years, taking the Red Raiders to the national title game a couple seasons ago. Um, but a quick note from the PGA Tour: uh, Brooks Kepka. He, I, I told you, he withdrew from the Players Championship with uh, a knee strain, his right knee. Well, he ended up having surgery on that right knee on March the 16th. So that put that puts Brooks. Brooks' status in doubt uh, for the Masters. Masters is just a few weeks away, and Kepka's probably not going to be there, which is very unfortunate because uh, he—I he, I think he's got—he's got all the game to win a green jacket one day, and I would like for him to be a—I mean, I, I think he would have been a favorite at this year's Masters uh, had he played, but uh, that's a bummer for Kepka, Hopefully he gets back uh, and he can compete because he loves him some PGA Championship and US Championship. He's got two of each. So hopefully he can get back before those get going. But the final piece of news I have uh, deals with uh, legendary broadcaster Jim Nance. You hear him all the time on CBS. Uh, he agreed to a contract extension with CBS. Um, his contract was about to expire, and he was considering jumping over to ESPN, but he stayed with CBS for uh, a cool $6.5 per year to be a broadcaster, and of course you recognize Jim Nance because he does uh, NFL games during football season, he does PGA Tour events weekly uh, during golf season, and of course he does college basketball during March Madness when it's on CBS. Uh, He is He's got a voice like no other. He's uh, probably my favorite broadcaster in all sports. Um, You know his voice when you hear it. Uh, He is just uh, an exceptional broadcaster, so I'm glad that he's staying with CBS. Uh, But that is going to wrap up the 33rd episode of the Sports Island podcast. I appreciate you guys listening to it. Uh, It's available on all major podcast platforms, uh, so you can rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. And... um, we got another busy week coming up. Uh, some college basketball against Sweet sixteen, Elite Eight will be wrapping up this weekend. Um, some uh, baseball seasons right around the corner. So just stay tuned uh, to the next couple weeks episodes. as they'll probably be just as busy as this one. But in the meantime, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.